This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation in our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com. Claire. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> when, I, when I lived out in California... Um, there was uh, so one of the one of the very common flight, at least for me in my little VFR uh, airplane, is that I'd take off from Palo Alto, which is on the west side of San Francisco Bay. I'd fly across the bay. I'd fly across a small uh, a range of mo- of hills. We call them hills. Some, back here in New England, we call them mountains, but in California, we call them hills. And that would take us into what I would kind of generally call Livermore Valley, right? And as you were flying across Livermore Valley, which was sort of a circular bowl-shaped valley that before you crossed another row of hills, it took you into the California Central Valley, which is the big monster valley, okay? And this was a very common route. You'd fly this route all the time because you wanted to get into the Central Valley, and it kind of cut between the even bigger hills, and it was a good route. But you had to be careful flying through Livermore Valley because at the eastern edge of this bowl-shaped Livermore Valley, there is a, I believe it was purple, but there was a very dramatic circle on the chart, all right? And it was a prohibited area, all right? It was Livermore Labs. It's uh-huh. the um, it's the location where some, you know, shadowy government-related agency apparently builds pieces, parts for nuclear bombs or something, all right? And you just knew you don't fly over the circle. You just don't do it. You stay away from it. Um, at the time, they one of the things they told us was one of the practical reasons you didn't fly over it was that one of the things they did back there, and that was back 15 years ago, I don't know if it's still true, is that they tested rocket motors of some sort, and you never knew when something might go shooting up into the air, right? So you stayed away from the circle. You stayed away from Livermore, um, Livermore Labs. Well, off-field landing of the week. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, this guy uh, – let's see if I can find this story here. Let's Wait a minute. Before you, we tell everybody this, we're sure we're not going to have to kill them all after we <laughs> – We might. We might. If the podcast hasn't done that already, I don't know. Um, so uh, let's see now here. I'm looking at a story. Yeah, if they're listening to us for a second time, obviously they're up to it. Yeah. Uh, story from uh, the Contra Costa Times. Contra Costa is the name of the county that Livermore is in. Contra Costa, Costa County. Um, small airplane makes emergency landing in Livermore and specifically in Livermore Labs. So it turns out that there's this beautiful, big, old, grassy piece of land that's just like the most perfect forced landing field you could ever want. All right. And so you're flying your cub you know, over this area and your engine does crazy things. And so you go and land in this big, big, big flat place of grass. All right. And just as you land, a serious, serious group of military police kind of people surround you with guns drawn and say, what are you doing? Why are you landing here? And, and you get taken into custody. That would ha- that's what happened here. Um, Take, taken into custody. Yeah, apparently, apparently, you know, and uh, let's see now. So like I said, Kostruk, Costa, correction, Contra Costa. Contra Costa Times. Yeah. Um, 
breaking news, by the way, in this webpage. A small airplane makes emergency landing in Livermore, uh, Dateline Livermore. The pilot of a small airplane made an emergency landing after experiencing engine failure uh, Sunday afternoon, according to Federal Aviation Administration spokesman. The plane, a Piper J-3, with the tail number, etc., etc., reportedly experienced engine failure around 3.30 p.m., According to FAA preliminary investigation, the pilot made a precaution. Now, the interesting thing is this story doesn't talk about being taken into custody, all right? But the other story that I pointed you to, yeah, yeah. Um, which was actually a video. Um, well, the headline is one taken into custody. Yeah, after and, and it also, uh, it. Uh, well, if you get to the Pleasanton.com story, the, the way it, uh, and I presume Pleasanton's another uh, community in the San Francisco area, uh, that the, uh, the the pilot was taken handcuffed, taken away. I would imagine that's pretty much protocol in a situation yeah. for a place like that. Yeah. And if you watch the video, and I'm, Jeb's quiet, maybe he's watching the video. But no, uh, if no, you watch no. the video, um, we actually so, – so how secure is this spot? It's secure enough that if you land your airplane on this grassy stretch, you're going to get taken into custody. Um, but it's not so secure that there isn't like a chain link fence that all the TV people were shooting pictures and all the locals were shooting photographs through the chain link fence. And so the video shows this guy being escorted, and it's kind of hard to see from a distance, but you can imagine – in your imagination, his hands are behind his back, um, you know, somehow uh, secure, his arms secure. And, uh, and and he was taken off. And according to one of these stories, uh, he was questioned somehow. And then a little bit later on, um, there was another bit that said that they let him come back to the airplane to to collect some personal stuff. And and there were two military guys just standing there watching him real closely. And uh, none of these stories refer to him being arrested. Um, and so well, the the Burlingame County, the Burlingame dot com story, which. They point out the link, but the link doesn't take you there now. But it said that he was briefly detained and then released. The link has been uh, killed? Ooh, now we've got the beginning. No, I don't think it's killed. I think it moved on. Uh, I think it's a link that runs to the top story of their page, and that's what moved on. But I could be wrong. All I know is that the the the, the summary still exists on the on the web, and it says he was briefly detained and later released, which would also follow pattern uh, that we've seen, like people busting the uh, the uh, freeze in the D.C. area. They get met at gunpoint, they get taken away, they get questioned, they get their finger you know, waved in their face, and then usually they get to go home. Yeah, yeah, so... Anyways, this guy uh, got himself a little bit jammed up, and uh, I, I, I'm somewhat confident, based on no information at all, that he eventually uh, uh, was released. Um, there was one of the, sto- the stories referred to them that they were going to have to take the airplane apart in order to get it out of there, even though you could just tote. I mean, it was look- from the looks of it, the field was plenty big enough for a cub to take off. Oh yeah, and, and oh, fly yeah. out. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm sure that's going. That one's going to get disassembled before it goes anywhere. Yeah, else. yeah. So. And I would bet somewhere. In the bureaucracy that uh, that runs uh, uh, Livermore Labs, that they could find a, a guy with the right security credentials already checked out in a cub. Yeah, you think that had to get everything everybody's attention away from the quickest of all the solutions. You know, the only the only thought I have is it's a good thing the area wasn't wasn't mined. 
<laughs> oh well, yeah, truly, you know, truly. With all that, with all that going on, he's lucky to land on a landmark. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyways, I don't. Did any of these stories say the guy's Would, name? Maybe we no, won't want to. Maybe we don't no, want to. No, maybe you know, no. on, you know to, for his benefit, we won't say his name. Yeah, but, uh, but, but uh, uh, he got kind of jammed up, and uh, he got, got yeah, he got kind of jammed. I just so. Add that folks, to the all, add that to your checklist. You know, it's kind of folks, like you know, folks. It's a it's a Piper Cub, okay? Yeah, I know, right? Every, it's like <laughs> all right. Add this to your emergency landing just, checklist. You just, know, it's like everything I'm, open, everything off. Uh, is it a prohibited area? All right, and uh, <laughs> which well, means you know, it, yeah. if it is, can you make it over the fence yeah, to the I next know. one? <laughs> I know, huh? I don't know. You know what? If I if that was the spot to land, and I knew it was a prohibited area, I'd still land there because that's where you got to land. You know, you know pilot in command gets that kind of prerogative, if memory serves. Well, you know, yes and no. He got taken. You get you taken away in handcuffs. Yeah, but. right. Yeah, I know. Hey, hey, welcome, folks, to uh, Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you this afternoon from uh, beautiful uh, Letty Fields in Epping, New Hampshire, and. Uh, and uh, we're, it's been a beautiful weekend. I spent some time over at, over at uh, Lookout Point, uh, where I'm, I'm not living these days, but I still visit. And we went kayaking today and paddling and uh, you know, work wow. on getting the boats ready for the summer season. It's really beautiful out here, having a good old time. And I'm here this afternoon, this evening. It's Sunday, Sunday uh, evening, early evening, and talking to my two good friends. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, Dave Higdon, talking to us from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? Doing lovely. Doing lovely. Been a... a- Really nice weekend, moderate, sunny. Uh, seen a lot of airplanes, a lot of motorcycles, particularly today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we could stand to do several weeks of, of today's weather. That'd be fine. Yeah. yeah, nice, nice. And the other voice out there is uh, my other good friend, uh, Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing, Jeb? Um, I'm doing fair to Midland. Yeah. Um, actually, better than that. Uh, weather here has been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting a lot of stuff done outside. Um, getting working, working on my sunburn for the summer. Um, You've been exercising the Debbie at all lately? Well, the, I'm putting the Debbie back together. Um, she had some work done recently, and uh, I need to lube the gear and uh, put a couple of inspection covers back on, um, tidy a few things up, and... Uh, I will fly here later this week. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Hey, you know, here's a follow-up question I've been meaning to ask, um, and this goes back to Sun and Fun. So yeah. I know you and I, and I think maybe even David was standing there, and we saw the, a demonstration of this seemingly miraculous metal polish that uh, you had hopes might clean the spinner on your airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time I had to leave town, you hadn't had a chance to try it out yet. Have you had a chance to try it out? I have, and uh, I didn't do the work. Um, someone else uh, spent uh, some time working mm-hmm. on the spinner. They used that um, that stuff. It, it was it was great. It cut, got the corrosion out of there and cleaned that up. Um, and in, I'm not sure if they used that product or some other product to put a polish on it. But it looks the best it has in a long time. It's still not. There's just something about this this alloy, this the, the metal in this in my spinner. It it's very 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 hard, and it's hard to uh, to polish up. Um, it, someone suggested it might have been a spinner designed to be painted, uh, and that may well be true. I don't know. Um, 
but it's it just will not polish up. Mm. And uh, it, we, we it, as I say, this this stuff that we bought there at Sun and Fun, uh, thanks to Turbo Eddie. Um, That's who was there. Yeah, yeah, it's Turbo Eddie. Um, it's it did a good job. There's no question about that. I'm looking forward to using it on uh, uh, some other things, and and we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, so far so good. Yeah. Now yeah. listeners but, are hollering at their the, eyes. The, yeah, the spinner is not a good measure of how good that okay. that stuff is. I, I got to figure there's one or two listeners out there that are hollering at their iPod saying, "Yeah, but what's the stuff called?" Cal- California Custom. California Custom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, the company guy, or the product? They had, that's, the, that's the company's name. The guy's based in Wisconsin. Yeah, okay. okay but, well, uh, we, we will see him again. Okay. He was quite the sales guy, by the way. He was, yeah, we will see him again, won't we? A couple of weeks. Um, he was quite the sales guy. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, he, he was just stuff, doing yeah. the whole, you know, oh, kind of yeah. like, you know. Uh, he, he'd been doing this all week. He couldn't find the off switch. Yeah, I know. And, uh, you know, he and he had it all down, man. He had all the motions and all the business and all the patter, you know, and all the, um, you know, the good news is it appears that the product's genuine, so that's nice. And uh, he, had, he had an answer for everything. He did. He did. So uh, he kept saying, look, I did it on my bus. He's had a big motorhome bus there. Yeah. He says, look yeah. what I did to the trim here. He also had a like, tire conditioning stuff, and he had all kinds of things. Yeah. But yeah. so you had good luck, at least with the uh, yeah. I mean, it's the two things you bought. You bought one thing that was supposed to, like, remove or diminish the, corro- the, the corrosion, and then the next one was supposed to polish. Right. And right. you think the corrosion was excellent and the polish probably excellent. Um, Maybe excellent isn't the right My My um, spinner wasn't that corroded. Okay. There was, there was a, a very thin uh, layer on it. Um, so the, the, there wasn't that much corrosion to clean up. But that was used, and, um, and then the polish was used, and it came out okay. It's, as I say, it's, it's looked better than it has in a long time, if ever. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's never, I don't think it's ever going to be right, but there you go. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Well, they got an interesting-looking website, California Custom Products, Inc. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And that's California Custom with a C. Yeah. Right. And they had like the green and the purple and the right. Isn't that the, the colors were distinctive, as I recall, the liquids that that did this polish. Right. There was there was kind of a neon uh, yeah. green and there was a purple. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like um, oh, I forget what that other purple cleaner is, but it wasn't that color purple. It was some other color. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Cool. Cool. David, uh, what's this video that Fred Johnson's got on the net? You know, that kind of took me uh, by surprise. That's a really good, uh, good friend. Of, good friend of mine here locally uh, saw this on the General Aviation News site and shared it with a bunch of us that belong to this club together. And, you know, I went to the site and clicked and looked at it. And the opening credit did a video by Frederick A. Johnson. And I'm like, Jet Johnson with an S E N. Yeah, that's oh our God, that's, our, that's Fred. our Fred. Yeah, <laughs> we've been working with Fred for years and years now on the uh, Air Venture newspaper, and, and he uh, has got about four minutes of video with music, uh, a, a music uh, soundtrack for the background from this year's Chino Warbird Air Show on May the third. Yeah, and uh, it's. Really pretty. It's really clean. It's smooth. Uh, watching Fred progress with his video skills through the years has been a real treat. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to observe. Yes, I agree. 
Um, I, 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 he's very good at this. He, he's practiced uh, a lot, yeah, and he's yeah. got. Well, his, he used he used to do that. He used to do a video during the show yeah. of, of the staff, and, and he would splice together stuff that had happened during the week of work there in that office with that group of people. And towards the end of the week, we'd get together, and, and he'd, she'd show the video, and it was always a hoot. He was always well done. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, uh, and since uh, he's retired, it's become sort of—I don't know if it's a vocation, but it's certainly a very busy, a very yeah. active avocation. And yeah, well, he, he, he told—he he was telling me last year that he he uh, has an arrangement or, or some formal uh, um, position with um, a, a military-themed aviation museum somewhere in the West. Right. I don't know which one it mm-hmm. is. He's doing that. Um, of course, he was a curator yeah, at the Ma- NASA Museum for a while, for a long time. Right. More than cu- uh, well, a curator. He was like the head or something like that. Yeah. Right? I, of, I, over, I, at, uh, yeah. over at Edwards, right? Right. And, right. Uh, and then he retired a couple of years ago. And uh, and like I said, Ooh. one of the things he's been doing in his retirement is, is produce. He, his, uh, on, on, uh, on YouTube, he's, he's known as Air. What is it here? Air Rail Images. All right. And it's spelled kind of funny. So let me spell it. It's A. A I R A I L images. All right. Okay. So he sort of combined the words air and rail because these are his two of his passions, airplanes and trains. Right. right. Yeah. And so he, he does a lot of YouTube videos about either airplanes or trains or both. Um, and, and yes, Jeb, just as you say, um, you know, through his, and I don't think he has any special access here. He no. just knows no. that anybody can no. get this special access. And so he right. takes advantage of the fact. And so he's gotten um, um, access to all sorts of historical, you know, sort of government museum footage, as I understand it. And uh, he's been digitizing a lot of old mm-hmm. film um, that, uh, well, that that's existed that nobody, you know, it's just been kind of on shelves in, you know, I don't know where. And That's a, that's a very good point you just made. And I'm, I was going to save this for a, a shout out, uh, Blegg. Uh, or I don't know what a podcast bag is, uh, a plague. Um, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, con- talking about converting um, uh, a film to uh, digital, yeah. I've, I've got a bunch of mounted 35-millimeter color slides, yep. and I've got a little scanning tool, but what I don't have is a good way to clean the slides before I scan them. Does anybody out there in the sound of my voice have a great solution for cleaning 35 millimeter slides? There you go. Send us a You're talking about Please. something other than one at a time. Yeah, yeah. Well, one at a time or or you know, en masse, I don't care. Yeah. As, lo- as long as they don't show a bunch of dust in the scan. Right. It's too bad there isn't somebody involved with this podcast who knows something about photography. It, it, well, it is. It is. Um, it, it, one of these days, it, I might ask him about that, but I, I didn't really even think about yeah i know huh you know, it's like but anyway oh, that's right dave does it, that doesn't he dave dave does do that kind i'm gonna of thing. let you guys talk about that offline we'll, we'll uh, do that in but, the but meantime in yeah. the meantime if anybody has a great solution please say something in the forums yeah say something in the forums and uh, that would be great uh and uh, big congrats to uh to fred johnson uh, aerial yes. images uh, on there, there, uh, here's a here's a folk wolf 190 i've never seen one taxi yeah. by that was a cool that's, i know wasn't that a hoot yeah, yeah that's that's just really cool yeah, this is well, at the Chino Warbird Air Show. The Chino yeah. Airport, I've never been to their air show. I've been to the Chino Airport a number of different times. It is a hotbed of of, of Warbird restoration projects. It's a terrific museum. And just if you can be there on a day when the hangar doors are open, you just wander around and drool. It's an awesome spot. 
It's that That's, dry air. It's really interesting. I don't know if it's he's using a special lens on his camera um, or not, but whatever whatever he's doing with this video is he's slowing down the props. It does. Look, I know that. It almost looked it, like it, a tad it, slow motion, didn't it? It was well, a nice it, look. I liked it. It's a, it's a great look. I don't know how he's doing that. It's, I will ask him. But it's I a, don't think he is. I don't. I don't. I, it's got to be the camera, or it's got to be the lens. There's one of the few times. Here's what it is. Yeah. Okay. It has to do with the number of blades, the engine RPM, right? The frame rate and the shutter speed of the right. camera. I think that's what it is, David. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, and because and, if you look at some of those, it looks like normal blades in slow motion. Uh, right. They're just going progressing forward. If you look at others. They're going much faster, and at one part of the 360, it actually looks like the blade is bent. Yes. So, he, so he's really just playing with uh, shutter speed. I be. think he's really just shooting it at the appropriate shutter speed and aperture for the exposure he wants. The frame rate, I'm pretty sure he's just sticking with 24 frames a second. That's the normal for video. Interesting. If you want to do slow motion, you, 30. Can, you shoot 36. And then play it at 24. Uh, but I don't think that's what's happening. I think the shutter speed, if you get it in in variations or what are, what's the word I want here? Escalations, 60th, 120th, 240th, 480th. And it syncs with 2400 RPM to make the props do interesting things. Yeah. Interesting. We will have to ask him how that works and how, what he's doing in particular in that regard. Yeah. So. Congrats to him. That's that's awesome. And we'll look to, to maybe – well, if you had him on the podcast, he's been on the podcast a handful of times, usually yeah. around uh, Oshkosh. But uh, yeah. we'll talk to him more we'll about that. We'll have to give him a shout and have him talk about that prop thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, just really quick, the, the flyby of the P40, whatever, oh, wow. whatever, whatever was going on, the prop was motionless. Yeah. That happens too. So, yeah. Uh, but that that was that was just I don't, just really cool. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's a perfect synchronization of the frame rate and the shutter speed with the RPM and the engine. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that's going to be cool that's going to happen at Air Venture this year is they're trying to pull together sort of a gathering of the breezies. All right. Um, <laughs> and um, I don't know how many they're going to actually manage to attract. <laughs> Sounds like a sounds like a political convention to me. <laughs> I, right. I was oh, thinking I it sounds so cute. Yeah, the gathering, gathering of the, the breezies. The gathering of the breezies. <laughs> the breezy is just a legendary uh, aircraft. It's uh, uh, you've probably seen one, and you either knew what it was or you didn't. But uh, it's a uh, high wing monoplane, um, and uh, and otherwise it's just all uh, tube frame. Um, the control surfaces obviously are covered, but that's about it. And the uh, the pilot and the passenger just sit out in the air, sitting on top of this sort of truss-like structure, and uh, tricycle it's gear. Like somebody took a big section of a large freestanding antenna. Yeah, right. Which is yeah. usually a three-sided girder. Yeah. Turned it a, with a flat side up, put wheels on it, an engine, a prop, and a parasol wing, and said, let's go fly. Yeah. And there's been a breezy um, at, uh, at Air Venture for years and years and years now, um, giving rides. It's something of a, of a legend at, at just at Air Venture, um, where right. uh, the guy is there out on the flight line, and he just gives free rides. He, he gives a priority to kids. 
Um, and uh, you basically get in line and get a free uh, turn around the pattern um, in this breezy. And then as as time, you know, and, and space allows, uh, grown-ups can get in there too. Um, but it's been a thing for a long time. And I think... Boy, I wish I knew this story more accurately, but it, there was something along the lines of the, the gentleman who owned and flew this breezy for years and years um, either retired or passed away um, in the last couple of years. And there was some question about whether the airplane was going to return, and I think it did. And anyways, this year is the 50th anniversary of the breezy uh, design, and uh, and AirVenture EAA is uh, trying to get uh, a lot of breezies uh, at uh, at AirVenture this year, thus the gathering of the breezies. And uh, I think it'll be really cool to see more than one. I mean, it was, it's always cool just to that see would, one. Yeah, Can you imagine yeah, seeing yeah. three, like, in a formation? Right. You know, I mean, there'd be a, you know, a, a, a Liberty flight, right? Three breezies. <laughs> three breezies. Three breezies and, a, and, an, and an F-18. Right and uh, right, uh, yeah. The the eighteen could do that. Sure, yeah. sure. Right. <laughs> once, once. <laughs> right. No. Well, that is a Mach zero point five uh, home built. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is from uh, I'm reading from a story on on EAA dot org. Calling all breezies, help honor the breezies fiftieth anniversary. Uh, one of the most universally recognized aircraft to emerge from EA home built movement marks its fiftieth anniversary this year. The RLU one breezy. Uh, and EAA is inviting breezy owners and operators to bring their aircraft to AirVenture Oshkosh 2014, where a number of special activities are being planned. Um, I'm stunned. Uh, the story says today there are around 1,000 breezies in various configurations. Uh, that's amazing. That's an amazing number for a, what's essentially you build your trust. Find a C90 engine or something yeah. else suitable and get a yeah. pair of Piper PA-12 wings. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's a flying truss. Yeah, it, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, later on in the story, it says, uh, EAA founder Paul Pobrezny called the Breezy one of the most popular airplanes to ever appear at the fly-in and credited Carl Unger, who was one of the... Uh, 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 owners of of a breezy for getting many people excited about aviation over the years thousands of people have received free breezy rides from the, the red vested unger thousands well, still uh, available yeah unger unger wasn't just flying people around uh carl unger bob leposky and charlie roloff together were the guys that designed and built the first one as an eaa chapter project yeah yep and and sadly, I was correct. Carl Unger uh, uh, did had did pass away in uh, September of 2013, um, but his son Rob has uh, continued to make the plans available and apparently do fly the do the flights at, at AirVenture. So it's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to that. A lot among yeah, a lot yeah, of things I'm, at yeah. uh, at this summer's uh, AirVenture. Yeah, it's going to be a good show. That's going to be kind of neat. What's next here? Uh, hey, they're even talking about a mass arrival. Of breezies before we yeah, that, depart this. That would be yeah. cool. Uh, that would that, be just so awesome. You it, know? it would. It would be awesome. But think of how much time it's going to take. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, okay. You know, they did. They did like a zillion cubs. Was it last year or the year before or something like that? Um, uh, yeah. So they're talking about having a, uh, a a barbecue the night before they all depart from uh, Bolt Field. That's Charlie Five Six down in Chicago, and then fly up. Uh, maybe not as, as a mass arrival like the Cessnas do, but I'll fly up pretty much as a loose group uh, the next day. So uh, should be a hoot. Yeah, yeah, cool. Cool. Definitely be breezy. 
people think about Air, uh, Oshkosh as only being, you know, kind of coming to life, uh, you know, um, and during Air Venture, but there's all kinds of activities throughout the year. Um, we often talk about the ski plane flying um, each winter. Um, similarly, and, and I didn't have, had never heard of this before, David, has this been going on for some time? The Ultralight Day uh, at Pioneer Airport coming up uh, on June 14th of this year. Um, and uh, I, They've done some stuff like this before, uh, but... Uh, I couldn't find a reference to a formal, a prior formal ultralight day like this. So, mm-hmm. but they also didn't declare this as a first ever, and so I'm not exactly sure. But it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, you know, and obviously nicer weather than the than the ski plane fly in when it's snowy and cold in the wintertime. Um, but uh, well, you kind of need that for the skis. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also reading from EA.org's story, uh, uh, EAA's Pioneer Airport will be transported, correction, transformed uh, into a fun fly zone on Saturday, June 14, as up to two dozen ultralights and a light aircraft fly to the grass airstrip strip for Ultralight Day 2014. So uh, that'll be cool. So they're going to do accuracy landings, torpedo runs, mean bag drops. What? No flower drops? Uh you're cleaning up those flower bombs, but beans, who knows? Well, I mean, look what they, they don't did break Jack. open. You know, otherwise you could have, you know, you're seeding the field at the same time, right? Um, well, and if, if, if you get beans like Jack's, who knows where that could lead? What is a, what's a torpedo run? I've never heard of that. I've heard of, I've heard of pumpkin drops that they, they, up in Sanford, Maine, they used to do the pumpkin thing every, which horrified me look, look in a at fascinating the, look kind at, of way. Look at the third image. The third image here. Let's see here. <laughs> they got a fake ship. So okay. what? You're supposed so to like, is that like a basketball rolling across the ground there oh, in front of it? That's what it is. I see that. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, all right. So we're just totally speculating here, but apparently you. <laughs> this is great. I want to go just to see this. I know. I, I want to see how that. This comes is out. A, so they have a they have a silhouette, a cutout of a of like a battleship of some sort. All right, that appears to be about uh, two th- two thirds of the wingspan. You know, its its length is about two thirds of the airplane's wingspan. And it's flying just overhead, pretty low to the ground. Um, and we see a basketball, uh, presumably bouncing along the ground. So this is like a little bit of that sort of dam busters thing, right? You know, you right. gotta like get the right. skips right, you know, and you gotta. <laughs> yeah, and if you do it right, you, you'll only drop it a few inches. I know. Because you ought to be able to get that puppy down to within a foot of the ground. Well, just let wonder, it roll off your fingertips. Now, I wonder if maybe there's a rule that says the ball, the basketball has to touch the ground prior to a certain point and then hit. You know oh, what I'm sure. All right. You oh, shouldn't yeah. be able to just drop it right on the ship. You have but to remember like, drop it's, it ne- in it's never going to bounce higher than it's fallen from. Yeah. But- so if you could get it down to a foot, <laughs> a few, a few feet back, if you can let it go at a foot. It'll never bounce higher than a foot. It's going to go through that ship. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, listen to our friends at EAA or, or in the yeah. Wisconsin area. We want video of this. We want yeah, to see. I, no, how this yeah. Works. I want to see how this comes out. I want to. I want to speak to the person who who won this. Um. And and but here's the other thought I have, guys. That battleship ain't shooting back. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's also a good thing, right? That's also. A good oh, thing. they should put some people behind it with super soakers. Yeah, that's true. Hey, that's, now, that's, now it's getting interesting. I know, huh? Anti-aircraft yeah. spray. Or, or maybe off to the sides or something. You don't want them right, right there, yeah, at the, but, right, right in the path. <laughs> Anyways. I but, bet you uh, they climb out quicker. Yeah. 
finally, before we take a break here, uh, uh, we have yet another off-field landing of the week. Um, and this is like... Uh, wow, a twofer? Yeah, a twofer. All right. So well, this is not exactly an off-field land. I guess it's a landing, strictly speaking. So uh, here's, the, here's my thing. Here's a rule to live by. If you are a Cirrus aircraft salesperson, all right, and you are giving a demonstration flight, one of the things you do not want to demonstrate is the recovery parachute, right? Right. You know, because that would probably not help close the sale, or 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 maybe it does help close the sale. I'm not maybe sure. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Yeah. Uh, reading from the uh, this is in Australia, the uh, Sydney Morning Herald, uh, 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 New South Wales edition. Ooh, apparently, uh, plane parachute gives near disaster a soft landing. Uh, it says uh, a, a specialist parachute designed for an entire life. It's a little breathy here. The story's a little like, can you imagine that they have air parachutes on airplanes here? All right. But I'll see your parachute and raise you yeah. two pairs. A specialist parachute designed for an entire light aircraft has allowed three people to make a miraculous escape from a plane crash in the Blue Mountains. The male pilot of the Cirrus aircraft managed to dodge houses and major power lines before landing the plane in the front yard of a house at Lawson uh, at uh, 2.10 p.m. on Saturday. Anyways, it goes on. Wow. Now, I, now, for, so there's a couple of things here, all right? As I understand it, once you pop the chute, you're along for the ride. There's no, like, dodging houses and major you, power lines, yeah, you right? Can't, you, can't well, fly, you can't really fly it when it's under the canopy. I, I wouldn't think. David, what were you about to say? Uh, you do have little roll hit control. It's not going to change the direction the parachute goes. It'll just change the direction at airplane points. So, anyways, I mean, you know, I mean, he didn't hit anything, so maybe he did have some input into the thing. He didn't hit any people or valuable property. Oh, um, he hit damned hard. Yeah, he broke the tail off this thing. I was going to say, I've never seen a CRI under a parachute uh, break that part of the structure, and we've seen pictures of more than one. the video looks fairly benign. It's one of the first and only times I've seen video of yeah. a Cirrus under canopy in Me the too. wild. Yeah, that was kind of cool. That, uh, was, that, cool. that, that was, it was really kind of cool. But it doesn't look like it's descending all that fast. Yeah, I think it, it hit something just the wrong way. Yeah, you know, I, I, think, I, I think do so too. too. Yeah. yeah. So but uh, it, it goes to a, show you that there's a fence yeah. or something up under the engine in that. I think that's what something like that. Yeah. David, you were going to say? Yeah. I was going to say, it just goes to show you that there's this, uh, some people read the, oh, you got a parachute. Well, then that means nothing bad can happen to you. Well, yeah, if you'd hit a tree limb up high and hit and broke part of the structure and laid there long enough for the parachute to go limp, and then you fall through. They teach this in skydiving school, too, kiddies. Uh, you, you start going through a tree, and things slow you down, but you're not through falling. You could catch up with the ground before you catch up with the parachute. Hmm. So there's a certain amount of, uh, let's say, chance. The idea that, oh, you pull the parachute, every, you know, everything's going to be cool in all circumstances. Well, not necessarily. Yeah, right. Well, if you're on fire, I think the last thing you want to do is pull the parachute. Oh, man. And not until I'm really close. Yeah, really. Absolutely. Um, one, one paragraph in this story that I just wanted to kind of call attention to and clarify for myself, if not everyone else. Um, a little bit lower down in the story, it says, The Cirrus planes are the only light planes in the world to come with their own parachute system. Um, something that has helped it become the most popular piston 
engine plane in the world. All right? It's not true. It's not a true statement. Now, and I don't know about do, the do pop, most popular piston engine plane, but I'm talking about the only. You're right. See, I caught that too, Jeb. Right? There are certainly are other aircraft, but now, so is are there any aircraft larger than LSAs that have a parachute? Yeah. Yeah. Like what? I mean, I believe you. I just Cessna, Cessna, from, Cessna 150 and 152 under a supplemental type oh, okay. can be fitted with a BRS. No, okay, that sounds good. So yep. can the 172. All right. Jeb, what were you going to say? I, I was going to say Skycatcher, but um, I don't even know if that, that's true. But that's LSA. Have, yeah. I, I, I was curious if there were any any larger than LSA. Clearly, a lot of LSAs and, and, and ultralights have parachutes these days. And uh, Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, the, the parachutes for light experimental aircraft that BRS pioneered or perfected might be a better way to put it. Uh, what set the stage for BRS and Cirrus working together to certificate the system as standard equipment in the Cirrus? And that's where the, the website's right. It's the only airplane in the world for which that is a, a, a true statement. It's standard well, it's, equipment. It, it's, it said light airplane and down. You know, it, it, changing a couple of words, it's, it's the only uh, uh, standard certificated airplane, right. for example, yeah. Yeah. that has that. Has that I mean, this story was clearly written by someone who's not really, really familiar right. with aviation right. stuff. And, 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 you know, in the scheme of things, this, this reporter did a pretty good job of telling the story. Sure. But, but there were a few areas like this where they, where they didn't quite understand what they were hearing and... Uh, and it and it comes through. Anyways, congratulations to this. Uh, I don't see the person's name. To, to this male pilot. That's why I just thought that was kind of interesting too. Um, by the way, in Australia is like a different. You're, we're not in Kansas anymore. If you're in Australia, <laughs> there there's language in this story that I just don't think. You know, I mean, like I can't even read you the quote because it wouldn't. You know, this family podcast. All right, really. There's, there's stuff in here. All right, yeah. It's like uh, one guy described. One des- described uh, how how he might feel if he was in this you know in this situation, right? <laughs> and and he he describes it exactly the way I would describe it. I just not on this podcast. And so, well, they, did, uh, did you guys notice that this is a U.S. registered airplane? Yeah, apparently it had just arrived. They hadn't changed the registration. I saw that someplace in some story. Um, it was a newly arrived in Australia. I right? thought that might be because it was a factory demo plane, but. Well, I guess I'm wrong about I, that. I think those I think, two go to kind of somewhat go together. Yeah, right? I, th- so, I think it was actually a factory. Demo yeah, it was or, getting a demo flight. Or, this was yeah. like this was a this was sales guy, you know, flying customers. All right, and it's like, and 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 what is this? Lo- you know, the passenger two says, questions. Two passenger questions. says, what does this handle do? And the salesman says, oh, look, it does this. <laughs> well, no, that's yeah. probably not the way it I, went. I I hope that's not what happened. I'm sure it's I, not. I'm sure it's not. But there's two questions. A the guys still have a job selling Shirai. B, did the people buy the airplane? Uh, good, both good questions. Both don't, good questions. Don't yes. know the answer. We'll have to reach out to our friends in uh, down in Australia. We have more than one, so uh, they may have some more information about how this all turned out. So, anyways, congratulations yeah. to the mail pilot who uh, got the airplane down <laughs> on the ground safely. Good, good job. So, if he's Mate. in flight, would he be an air mail pilot? Yeah, okay. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Please. Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville, what is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville. 
What is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes, select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville. What is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville. What is the aircraft? Yes, select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert. What's a lineys? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. You guys got to check out this video. This is a serious thing, all right? I have never... This is a um, YouTube video. It's on the list, um, and it's a long video, but you really only need to watch the first two minutes, all right? Um, this is a video of... Um, uh, it's a head-mounted. Oh, wait a minute! Got to make it stop making noise. Um, okay, it, we're it's in Seattle, right? Student pilot. What's that? Seattle, it's Toronto. Toronto. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Toronto. It's sorry. that little Wrong airport needle. down on the on the shoreline down in. It's it's you know it's whatever American, whatever yeah. big city should have, which is a downtown well, airport. That's Toronto Island Airport. Yeah. And uh, and, and you got to watch for a while. The, uh, the 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 person describing the video is kind of setting the scene here, talking about a uh, apparently like a 172 that is in the pattern uh, to this airport in Toronto, and uh, they are landing behind a Dash 8. Um, and wake turbulence was called out. You know, just a generic you know warning about wake turbulence. And then um, at about the two minute two two minute mark in this video, um, on very very short final, very low to the ground, uh, they fly into the wake turbulence of uh, just departed uh, Dash Eight, I believe it was, or just landed Dash Eight, excuse me, and yeah. uh, and it's pretty dramatic. I'm going to let you guys get to that point, and uh, and and then we'll talk about it a little bit. I'm I'm, um, I'm braced for it to happen. Keep your eyes Here. open at about one forty five. Yep, here it comes. Holy shit. <laughs> so if you're, uh, and I, I get the feeling you guys are listening with the sound off. I'm not sure if you're hearing the commentary. but No, uh, I, I was listening with sound off. Yeah, yeah so uh, the uh, the narrator um, is a, a friend of the woman who is the student pilot flying the airplane up until the uh, wake turbulence uh, uh, encounter. And uh, the the air on very very short final, the airplane suddenly started to roll just a little bit to the left, and then dramatically to the right, like fifty degrees to the right. I mean, got almost knife edge, really low to the ground, and uh, and apparently at this point the student pilot kind of like you know said your airplane, all right, and the instructor took <laughs> over. Thanks. Yeah, well the instructor took well. I mean, it's just for the best because I'm not sure you know the instru- even the instructor was really lucky to get out of this thing. According to the narrator, the instructor um, kept the controls neutral and just firewalled the engine, and and uh, and the uh, the narrator believes that it was firewalling the engine that pulled them back wings level um, and allowed them to start climbing out, and so uh, um, there was a close up at one point that uh, airspeed got down to about forty five knots, uh, yeah. possibly yeah. forty five well, no, miles. No an question hour. about this. Had the instructor not firewalled it, 
nothing good would have come out of this. Yeah, well, and, and you know, he, and the, the the narrator was just really marveling at the fact that this didn't end much more tragically, um, and uh, it's just well, the student started it back in the it, it, the student seemed to have reacted correctly to things falling apart, in that the student was putting the correct kind of role input back into it, but at that point, it's like, yeah, your airplane. Yeah, and I would be—I would be really surprised if the instructor wasn't already halfway to the throttle. Uh, yeah, probably, probably. Right, so uh, right. now the narrator suggests that in fact, power, power, full power was really the only way to go here. That if he had put in any any kind of aileron controls, he might have aggravated the situation and truly spun it out. Um, but by by keeping the uh, you know the the wings relatively clean. Um, that kept them from going past the tipping point. I, I don't know what you guys think about that. Seems to make sense to me, but I'm far from an expert. And uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot going on there. And the um, the airspeed indicator is showing 40 knots. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot going on in the airspeed system yeah. also. Either of you guys um, ever fly into this kind of uh, of uh, of uh, turbulence, wake turbulence, or anything like that? I've not specifically flown into wake turbulence before. I've flown into some turbulence and some, you know, gusty conditions that I was doing lock to lock kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, but not for very long because I got the putts out of there. Yeah, uh, it just it's but, it's, uh, it's it's really illustrative. It's really quite an illustration of how quickly things can can I don't know go bad, go wrong. I mean, this was like. A relatively uh, stable approach, a little bit low, but if you listen to the narration, that was actually intentionally, unintentionally intentional. Um, uh, it was a, it was a training mission, and the student had a had a habit of being low on final, and so the part of the point of the flight was <laughs> for the instructor to let her fly low and kind of make it a learning experience, right? I'll, I'll bet she won't do that again. Yeah, and so. Uh, um, you know, the fact that she was so low on final, um, both both put her into the, the turbulence or put her deeper into the turbulence and also, um, you know, made it a much hairier situation than it might otherwise have been. So uh, um, it, it, it gets better. Let that particular segment play out and let it go to the let the video go to the next segment where there's a I can't tell what that is. Um might be a Lancer, might be an RV. I, don't, I, uh, I believe they tell. said it was an RV, if you listen okay. to the narrator. Yeah, right. There's uh, a, a quite an interesting close call. Well, it's hard to tell how close that was. I, um, I don't know. But uh, the, she's certainly getting an interesting uh, training. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. It's... Uh, the narrator was quite complimentary of the woman who's a student, um, um, both for being willing to share this video. Apparently, this woman wore this head-mounted uh, uh, camera, perhaps a GoPro, um, and and um, documented all of her training. And so uh, that's why we've we've got this video. Um, the narrator was was complimentary of her for being willing to share it. Um, especially considering the fact that she apparently almost quit her flight training after the uh, after the wake turbulence thing, um, and it took her some weeks to get back into the airplane um, after that. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because when you were talking about the CFI deciding to enlighten the uh, student in the manner used. I really sitting here kind of shaking my head because that was, I think, a little bit beyond what was called for. 
Mm-hmm. It, 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 the, the level of risk the CFI put them both in. Well, it, it, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. It, it could be something, you know, clearly, um, how should I put this? Um, clearly, there was a wake turbulence encounter. Clearly, they knew or should have known there was a Dash 8 that preceded them. Clearly, um, if A and B, C should be, then you continue to fly above the, the descent angle of that air, of the preceding airplane right. so that you stay above its wake vortices all the way to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. did not happen. No. Um, I would not want to think that the instructor was trying to demonstrate wake vortice encounters. Right. I don't. I, yeah, I wouldn't want to think that either. I, yeah, I, I don't yes. think that. Again, yeah, if you listen when you either. have an opportunity, listen to it with the audio on. And the narrator, who is neither the student nor the instructor, um, is uh, it tells gives a lot more detail about this. Apparently, this triggered in Canada. Um, I wish I could hear. There's a there's an acronym, but there's a Canadian you know FAA uh, investigation process. It sounds not dissimilar to our. Um, um, callback kind of thing but mm-hmm. not only does it get reported it gets investigated mm-hmm. and uh, and this triggered this if you look closely on the video um when they get somewhat knife edge um and then they they also slide sideways they get lined up with the taxiway there's another dash eight um on the taxiway sort of almost holding short oh yeah right. i saw that on the first pass and i'm thinking yeah, and apparently there, the, there's no place for this guy to go if he can't go up. Yeah, and so that Dash Eight um, crew um, w- weren't amused, and so uh, <laughs> they they that's what triggered the investigation. They wrote it up, all right, and it resulted in an investigation that apparently came out relatively okay in terms of you know fault and and, and that kind of thing. But uh, um, it's all very interesting. Listen to the narrator tell the story here. Um, the narrator, you know, with the, with the benefit of, of I don't know how you call it, what's the what's the uh, metaphor? The benefit of ret- re- retrospect? No, that's not what it is. That's hindsight. Hindsight, right? Um, he um, the narrator points out a lot of the warning signs um, that might have been seen yeah. um, because this runway comes right up to the edge of the water. Uh, you can see a lot more effects of wind and, and air moving on the water there just at the threshold of the runway. And uh, the narrator points out that things like, you know, you can see the water being disturbed by the by the uh, turbulence right. of the of the preceding aircraft. And you can see the fact that the, that it's being blown sideways and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's pretty interesting. Well, Dash 7s and Dash 8s are both kind of dirty airplanes, wake vortices-wise. They're kind of on the level of 757s yeah. in terms of proportionality for their size and weight. They generate a pretty wicked wake, uh, both the 7 and the 8. And that's a factor of the, the, the wing design that's on both of them. These are high-wing airplanes with really long leg landing gear. Uh, the mains coming out of the engine nacelles. The nose gear coming out of the front end of the fuselage. Uh they're 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 wicked when they start to slow down because both of them are designed to get in and out of shorter spaces than most comparable airplanes mm-hmm. for their capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This video um, is part of a series uh, on YouTube uh, that are produced by uh, I believe it's the narr- the person I've been referring to as the narrator. 
um, who goes by the YouTube name of Flight Chops. Um, Chops being a reference, I believe, to his uh, his beard of sorts um, and uh, sideburns kind of thing. Uh, Flight Chops uh, has a series of videos about uh, uh, aircraft training and, and, and situations, and this is one of them. And uh, uh, thank you to uh, Flight Chops and to uh, the uh, student pilot for sharing this information. And uh, everyone should take a look at this, just to, if only to see how quickly this can go bad. And uh, and also to kind of get a lesson out of it, I I, I certainly yeah. did. And, Absolutely, uh, you know, it, it's you, you just you hear about this, you hear about it in your instruction and and in reading callback and all these kinds of things. To actually see it from the cockpit is 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 quite enlightening, you know, yeah, to to put it lightly. So oh. very good, fine, yeah. David, um, you seem to have called our attention to a lot of interesting things here today, um, and you, you said uh, your 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 headline here on this story, David, is is uh, is uh, Alex, give me the Oscar Foxtrot moment for five hundred, please. Um, what's the story here? So somebody got themselves in a jam. Is this? Uh... Well, the answer is, uh, what do you call a flight in IMC and icing up? when it has its second FADEC failure and, in turn, an uncommanded engine failure on short final. On short final, right? You know, it all would have been fine. And that's fine. the correct answer, and you live. Yeah, right. It all, of course, would have been fine if it had been a commanded engine failure. It was the fact that it was an uncommanded engine failure that made it a problem. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. What's the story, David? Tell us what happened here. Well, it, it's something that uh, is on the statistical level of lightning striking three times the same place in the same day. Uh, a citation CJ2 on the last leg of an international ferry flight uh, back last week of April had a uh, single engine control system fault on the number two engine. These are Williams FJ44s. They were coming through 15,000 feet. And one of the fully automated digital engine control systems failed. Now, these are electronics that when you move the throttle in the cockpit, translate a signal that the controller on the engine then turns into fuel flow and airflow changes to match the power that you just said with the throttle. Modern airplanes use these electronic digital controls because they're highly efficient and they work in ways, magical ways that the old mechanicals couldn't. But being electronics and basically computer items, the manufacturers are smart enough to make these dual systems on most of these engines. A dual failure is unheard of. But it happened to this flight and when the engine controller fails the engine has really a very limited ability to run on the system's latency, and pretty soon it stops getting fuel, and the engine dies. Now, that wouldn't be a big deal up above 15,000 feet where this started to happen, but because they got a, 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 an enunciator saying that they'd had a FADEC failure on the number two engine, and they were already headed into the airport of their destination, they decided to continue and on the way down, the second FADEC failure failed, and as they're on the ILS or on the final, the engine just quit altogether. It's a hat trick. I hate it when that. And everybody happens. walked away. Yeah. So they they were close enough that they were able to glide in. Is that what you're saying? Well, they still had one engine running. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. But having to go to single engine, 
you know, when you're getting down to decision heights, really not a lot of fun. Yeah, were they actually in IMC? I didn't catch that part. They had been. Uh, they were in the. They they were in and out of the clouds, and they broke out just as the time the engine failed. Yeah, David, what are you doing to poor Charlotte there? Come on, you're- hang on. Let me get, let me change that. Charlotte is Dave's dog, the most lovable dog in the world. But apparently, it's it's requesting some sort of attention right now, and so David has wandered off. Jeb. I'm fine. I don't. I don't. I'm not whining. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. We're doing good. What should we talk about while David's gone here? We're still on the air, by the way. So I understand. I understand. Yeah. It's a, uh, um, yeah. Fadex. Uh, uh, I, I I keep coming back to this uh, this uh, wake turbulence encounter. This is just like yikes, you know, because it's like, you know, it puts me in mind of the, there's a sort of. Uh, um, the, the, you hear this story from time to time, and I don't know how often it's actually happened, of the pilot who somehow got the flight controls cabled up opposite, all right, right and right. didn't catch it during during the pre-check, all right, during the you know during the run-up, all right, and so adds power, starts the roll, pulls back the stick to lift off, does in fact lift off, and now in order to keep the wings level is obviously. You know, adjusting the el- the ailerons, but because the controls are are wa- cabled backwards, turning the you know, the yoke to the right makes the airplane bank to the left. And I've played this out in my brain a number of different times about how confusing that would be. I mean, how profoundly confusing that would be, because you you turn the yoke to the right and the airplane goes to the left, and you say, oh well, I need to go more to the right, and so it goes more to the left, all right? And how far do you go? You know how. How quickly does it get unrecoverable, you know, before you, you have a chance to figure out what happened here, you know? I mean, part yeah, of your brain says, uh, if I just knew it was backwards, it would be hard, you know, be like, you know, sort of like, you know, you know, rubbing your stomach and patting your head, but you could... And chewing gum. You could conceivably fly the airplane with the controls cabled in reverse once you knew it, all right? Yeah, if, you, if you catch it early enough... right. Um, but and I don't know what would be best if it, you know you, you try to catch it on on the takeoff in a crosswind or in, in a calm wind day when you catch it at altitude or or, or at a higher altitude. Right. But I just I, I don't know which would be yeah. best. But but at some point you you, you got to be in the mode of wait a second I just did that's bad don't let me do that again yeah, let me un, let me let me undo that yeah doctor it hurt you doctor it, it, yeah it's yeah. right doctor I'm gonna crash when I do yeah, this well yeah. don't do that that's right um, and so you know you're flying on short final and you fly into this this uh, this turbulence that you didn't realize was there and suddenly the airplane is doing these uncommanded things and you're kind of clueless and I think that's what the student was like she just like she she was trying to correct it and then she reached a point where she just like snapped and she had no idea what to do and she literally took her hands off the yoke, and the and the instructor took over. And uh, you know, I, I it's you know. Anyways, Charlotte, uh, uh, David, how's Charlotte? She okay now? Oh, she's fine. She she just wanted to be in the house after Annie said that she wanted to be out here. Oh, okay. All right. So she's back in there fussing now. Okay. So. All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. See. So all right, well, that's all right. Never mind. This is a joke. There. I'm gonna let it go. Where were we here? Um. Finally, and I don't know whether this is something that we have anything to say about or not, um, uh, but I, I saw a couple references in the last week or so about this article that's on AvWeb um, by uh, by uh, Rick Durden. Rick Durden, thank you. 
um, about, uh, and, and it's sort of a commentary opinion piece kind of thing where Rick Durden's, so there's a lot of talk these days about this whole ADSB equipment and the deadline, the looming, you know, if you will, five year out deadline, uh, for having to put this equipment in your airplane and should we do it now or should we wait or whatnot? And, and, and Rick Durden apparently argues in this, in this, in this, you know, sort of commentary opinion piece, he says, he says, you shouldn't wait. He says, do it now. All right. Um, and, uh, it, it's caused some interesting conversation, I know, on our forums, and and I'm sure elsewhere. And I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at this article, or I've looked at it here this this evening, real quick. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, any thought here? I mean, what what, what do you, you know? I think Rick, I think you fall Rick's, into the category, Jeb, of someone who's kind of waiting a little bit, right? No, not really. I mean, okay. I just haven't found the the right mix of. Um, uh, capabilities, features, and price. I'm not sure I'm going to. Okay. Uh, but I, right now, I've got a few other things to spend money on, too. But I'm going to do this in the next couple of years. Um, or, or, get, or get rid of the airplane, because the airplane needs it to, to maximize uh, maximize its value. But Rick's, Rick raises a lot of good points here. Rick's a good friend, a good friend of the podcast. And um, uh, he's got several good points here. And, and one of the things, I don't know if he goes into it or not, um, one of the things the, the avionics industry has been saying from day one is don't wait till the last minute because, A, there may not be product available. This is a low-volume industry. There may not be enough product available, A. B, the avionics shop may not be able to do the work on your schedule. So um, and they, they have a they have a they they have other systems deadlines in their history, particularly stuff that's required for airline level equipment. Exactly. Exactly. And and they've seen this happen with the airlines where suddenly the demand to meet a deadline outstripped both the installation capacity and the production capacity. And it was those things that got the FAA to give any kind of delay at all. Uh, and it wasn't much. Now, I'm not sure I agree with, I, I do agree with Rick that, that, gee, we didn't know, we didn't have time, right. is not going to carry a lot of weight. Right flip side of it is that there's been so little done, relatively speaking, to date. I think Rick said, or I may have read this elsewhere, that we're already at the point where 100 airplanes a day need to be done. Yeah, I don't, to, know, where the, I don't, I don't know where those numbers are coming from. That seems from, like a big number. Um, I don't know where those numbers are coming from, but a couple, keep a couple of things in mind here. Um... ADSB is going to be required where mode C is required now. Right. Okay, is the basic it roughly. I think I think there's one or two tweaks. Mm-hmm. But we're basically talking the 30 mile veil around Class Bravo airspace. We're talking about above 10,000 feet. And there might be a couple of other instances where where ADSB out is required. Um, there's a lot of airplanes out there that never see Bravo and never see uh, right. eight, 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 much less ten or twelve. Right. Yeah. Um, and they all have electrical systems. They all have mode C transponders. That maybe. Um, 
So, yeah, those aircraft and their operators don't have to upgrade on, on the FAA's timetable to maintain full utility of their airplanes. Right. Totally get that. Totally understand that. Um, that's a large number of airframes. Uh, I think a larger number of airframes than would be involved in, uh, and, and we're talking piston singles here. Let's let's put that in mind. Right. Just thinking piston singles alone here for a moment. Um, that's a lot of airframes, but that's not a very active segment of the population. Uh, and it's not a it's not a population that routinely goes into that airspace. There's a much smaller segment, however, of piston singles. Again, to use that segment, to use that 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 particular aircraft type that do use that airspace and use that airspace a lot, or perhaps is based in that airspace. And those people are, are going to be upgrading. There's a lot of interesting products out there. I I, I will confess to. To taking a wait and see attitude on some of this, um, but at the same time, um, the markets are kind of starting to 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 uh, uh, firm up. Uh, Free flight has some interesting products out there. Um, there's you know the bare minimum kind of route that one could go to get ADSB out. There's uh, a lot of variations on that theme. One of the real questions I have is trying to take a building block approach. You know, can I do X now and get compliant and then do Y and Z maybe together at a different point to get not only compliant but to get it all hardwired? And I don't mean hardwired in the sense of, of, of legally installed, but I mean hardwired in the sense of I have all the ADSBN stuff also built into the panel as opposed to on portables. Sure. So, so there's a lot of different variations here on this theme. Um, one of the things that um, if there is a reason to wait, and I'm not sure that there is, but if there is a reason to wait, uh, it's based on some pie-in-the-sky hope that some combination of portable device and um, the FAA's relaxing of regulations under this new Part 23 that's coming out um, in the next year or so, or, or maybe a little bit longer than that, will further relax some of the, the requirements uh, involving uh, ADSB out compliance. I don't know that that's going to happen. I, I wouldn't bet the farm on that happening. Um, when it comes to uh, uh, surveillance and communications, the FAA tends to to want to see certified equipment do that. So I I think if, if somebody's waiting around saying, oh, there's going to be a portable solution to this, there's going to be a uh, an ASTM uh, light sport aircraft style solution to this. Uh, yeah, maybe, but do you want to stake, uh, you know, the grounding of your airplane on that? I don't. Right. Uh, and and uh, even if that does come to pass, there's no real product out there on the horizon that would implement that. There's nothing out there for LSAs, for example, of which I'm aware, that gives you ADSB out compliance um, per what the FAA wants. So. 
we'll, we'll well have to wait and see on that score. Yeah, right, David, right now, up, right now we're tied to two TSOs. I right. can't give you the numbers, but one of them's a it, they want a TSO position source that reports a minimum of once every second, and then they want a TSO out uh, broadcast device. And those two teams working together. Now, there's various ways to skin that cat. But right now, they all have to be TSO'd, which means they're going to be installed equipment because uh, we haven't seen yeah. the FAA TSO anything portable yet. Right. That said, the only serious difference I have or disagreement I have with uh, Rick's uh, uh, ob- observations here is the do it now. I think if you give it another year, maybe even 18 months by this time in 2016, there are going to be a few more options that will drag the price point down a few shekels more. There's still not going to be a thing that's free. Uh, isn't that always going to be the case? It's always going to be cheaper two years case. out, right? But well, But that still gets you in the game early enough. To not get caught in a traffic jam, particularly okay. if what you're buying into is some of the new stuff uh, that uh, doesn't have a big backlog uh, waiting for it to be delivered yet. Uh, and particularly if the solution that you're willing to live with doesn't require you to have a position source that you can then use as a position navigator. Now, that's key to the some of the systems that uh, some of the solutions that are out there now right. they're really inexpensive they do everything out and in both channels of out uh, they have the built in uh, certified TSO'd WAS GPS but it's not a GPS that you can use to program your flight management system and fly a flight plan it's just informing your ADSB out channels mm-hmm. period end of story but you do get to use it as your transponder source so it solves that part of the problem, and it gives you in, which can play on an installed screen. And if you don't have an installed screen, it has a wireless link that lets you play on a portable, it lets you make the choice. Uh, but you're talking five to six grand in installation now. But that's for the position source and the out and the in all in a box. I expect that that will probably come down by another third in the next couple of years. Okay. Uh, yeah. Then it's going to be up to the manufacturer to find a way to field it and TSO that GPS engine and that WAS uh, or that uh, ADSB out uh, <coughs> solution. But if they've gotten it down this much so far, I got a lot of confidence they'll get it down more. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. It's an interesting article uh, by Rick Durden in uh, on avweb.com. Uh, it's the headline is uh, ADSB colon time to stop procrastinating question mark. And so uh, you might want to take a look. Shoutouts. What do we got here? I, I got one. I'll go first. Go ahead. Um, so last episode, towards the end of the episode, we were just kind of making small talk. Um, not that we don't ever do. Well, you get the joke. Um, making small talk. And, and we were talking about, uh, Jeb, you and, and uh, Aviation Safety Magazine. And I just kind of off the top of my head, well, we were just like 
talking. I said, how long have you been doing this? And you just kind of casually said, you know, I just, just started my 11th year. Um, and I gave you a big pat on the back because it was deserved. And, and then we moved on. All right. And it was only later when I was listening to the episode again. All right. It suddenly hurt. And I basically hit myself in the forehead. I'm saying my shout out is to Jeb is to you for, really? for celebrating your 10th anniversary. All right. That's a big deal. 10th anniversary as the uh, editor of aviation safety magazine. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, thank you. That's thank pretty you very cool. much. Congratulations yeah. on that. That's uh, cause I know that I talk to people out in the field and that magazine does a lot of good that, that opens people's eyes and, and, and gives them some insights and, and helps them uh, fly better and, and, and safer and, and more fun. And so uh, being, being involved for 10 years, how long is, the magazine been around i mean that's that's got to be a significant percentage of well, the magazine's a, history well it isn't actually um just happened to have um we're in our 34th year well okay that is a long time but still yeah. a third is there you know i mean yeah yeah you know, pretty much a third do you guys all all the former editors ever get together and drink beers and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um it, we never have. Maybe do, we should. Do, do any of the do any of the former editors even speak to each other? That's maybe a better um, question. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I I do indeed. Congratulations, yeah. Jeb. Thank that's you. awesome. Uh, Jeb, ten years. Thank you very much. That's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's uh, very cool. Some very very good work there, and uh, and you deserve more than just a pat on the back. That's that's very very cool. Oh, I very much appreciate that. Thank you, Jeb. Shout outs. Anybody else? David, what do you got? Yeah, what did I have here? Oh, well, what is it? Uh, a shout out to our friends in Frederick, Maryland, for celebrating their 75th anniversary last week. They had a little commemoration. Uh, we're talking about the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association, which, uh, with aviation now officially, what, 111 years old, AOPA's been around the vast majority of that, done a lot of good along the way. Uh, has helped a lot of people along the way. It forwarded a lot of uh, programs to the Air Safety Foundation and advanced a lot of uh, good careers and, 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 and safety uh, safety uh, reports and, and, and suggestions. And it's just a good all-around outfit and probably one of the more effective lobbying organizations in, inside the Beltway. So, yeah. Congratulations, yeah. Frederick. Yeah, good stuff there. And yeah. uh, they just uh, recently held the first of this new format, um, you know, uh, AOPA expo-ish things. What do they call them? The fly-ins or the fly-ins? There's yeah. a name for it. Is it just fly-in? Uh, but um, they held the first one, and apparently it was like wildly successful, even though the weather wasn't all that good or something like that. It was quite a successful oh. thing. And I uh, think there's another one coming up soon. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. There's about yeah. what half a dozen or eight or nine of them throughout the I year. Think Indianapolis is the next. Yeah, one. I've got the one in July here in uh, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts uh, on my calendar, and uh, and I'm also really, really hoping to make it down to Frederick for the big uh, homecoming one. Yeah, I'd like to make the Frederick one, but uh, that's probably a bridge too far. Yeah, I think yeah. I think yeah, I think there's one. It's either in in St. Augustine or or um, yeah, Savannah or Brunswick, like one of the yeah, two. southeast ish. Yeah, yeah it's, right. but it's in, it's later in the year too. Yeah, so I'm yeah, I'm, I'm going to plan know. on that. But Frederick, Jeb, man, if you had an airplane, you could probably get there. You know, if, if if I only had an airplane, yeah, um, um, yeah maybe it would be a good thing. To, but that's that's you know, pushing eight ten hours round trip to get up there. And Fred, Frederick, in and of itself, has never been one of my favorites. So oh. here's a thought: 
wild and crazy idea, all right? Yeah. Attend the fly-in, all right? Yeah. And then yeah. hop on up to a lookout point for a long weekend or something. Well, that's you know? that's not a bad idea. Yeah, okay. That's, that's there you not go. A, we'll talk more about a, that later we'll, on. But congratulations we'll, we'll, to AOPA for 75 years. They've, yeah, that, that's a that's much bigger deal than, than Aviation Safety Magazine uh, and might be in there 10 years. But, uh, yeah, you know, as much as we love to bash AOPA, they do do a good job most of the time. Uh, far, far higher percentage than we might let on. Yeah, no, and, I, uh, I, yeah, they yeah, do good absolutely. stuff. Uh, yeah. but. I, I, I've been a, an ALPA member almost 40 years, so... Mm, and, I'm that, not that, quite that long, but I've that been... That tells you something. Continuous. Since about the year after I uh, became a pilot. Back then, I don't know if it was true, I, but, but I had in my head that you couldn't join AOPA if you weren't a licensed pilot. No, it, it, I, I had it that way also. Yeah, and but so... But it's solo. It, it, I, all you have to do is solo. Yeah, and so as soon as I, in my head, I was allowed to join, I joined, and I've been a member ever since, and so uh, it's uh, good stuff. Congratulations on yeah. 75 years. My um, old employers wouldn't let me belong, but Oh, too bad. That all went away. So. <laughs> yeah. Coming up on 20. Real, real quick. Yeah, I, Jeff, go ahead. I, I saved this up. I, didn't, I, I can't top any of those other two shout-outs, but uh, I've, I've been working in the hangar for the last couple of days on various projects, and this shout-out, it's not so much of a shout-out, um, but it's, it's kind of a recognition Whoever the guy is, and he's not probably not listening, but whoever in the hell invented the grease gun, yeah. dude, <laughs> wait, wait, dude, finish what the made you, dude, what made you think you were finished? <laughs> not working for you, huh? Oh, man. So this is the gadget that sort of looks like a, a, a caulking gun, and you hold it against that little fitting fixture yeah. thing and squeeze. Yeah, grease yeah. zerk. And, yeah. and, and grease squirts out everywhere. Yeah. I, I, Is that what uh, your problem was? Um, I had several problems uh, <laughs> okay. with, with with grease guns, Zerk fittings, and assorted other uh, um, pleasantries. Um, <laughs> to take it completely off aviation, I snapped off the Zerk on, on one of the Zerks on my lawnmower. Just snapped it right off. Ah, oh, jeez. And I didn't have any I Zerks. When that I know. Just didn't have any Zerks. It was a threaded hole as opposed to a push-in. And I didn't have any Zerks in stock that would fit the hole. So, you know, the only thing to do is tap the hole for the Zerks that I do have. Oh, this is getting ugly. Go ahead. Yeah. Which is a cast iron axle. Okay. Yeah. So I got I to gotta pull the wheel. I got to pull the spindle. I got to pull the tie rod. Find the right tap. Got it all done. Um, but I'm like. Really, this is what we this is what we've come to in the year 2014 when we want to lubricate a freaking lawnmower. <laughs> okay, and well, then I had then I of course I had to fix a grease gun. I had I got I don't know what four or five grease guns laying around. Um, I can't them, imagine that. Yeah, okay, I, none of them work um, because you need one grease gun for every screwdriver that you own. That's a little oh, inside Jeb joke. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but I, I just I just had my fill in the last several days of dealing with the system that we use today to lubricate various machines, and uh, my airplane included. And I, I I just you know, dude, how did you know you were finished with this project when you invented the grease gun? I think 
you know, make lemonade, man. There's an aviation safety magazine article in here. Someplace. I got to, I got to get a 3D printer. And when he was done inventing <laughs> yeah. the grease gun, did he? He went zerking off. That's right. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate your taking the time. It's always a blast talking with yeah, you. Yeah, uh, same here. Thank you so much. Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and uh, the longtime editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, you been working on anything fun, Jeb? What's going on? I, Other than I just, grease guns. I, I just finished the June uh, issue of Aviation Safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, got a couple of good articles in there. One is, uh, uh, what happens when, you, when your engine quits at like 100 feet? On takeoff, how how hard do you have to push? You have to push really hard is is one of the answers. Um, so that was that was a piece by uh, Mike Hart, one of our good listeners. Amy Laboda has a piece in here on uh, turbulence. Uh, in an upcoming issue, our very own Dave Higdon's going to have an article. Um, so uh, uh, that's what it I've been up an to. Interesting angle. Yeah, it should be. So, did you really have? Let's see now. You have a you have. You have one called Dereg Dereg Redux, and I'm reading from the Aviation Safety Magazine um, website okay. now. Okay. Medical Dereg Redux. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We've got another article called Buttonology. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But that's my favorite. Yeah. But my favorite is cheap gasitis. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, cheap gasitis. Yeah. It's like a get home, uh, you know, get home a thon, right? No, I don't know. Well, well, it's it's you know, there's clear. Clear to to me, clear to the writer also. Uh, another Mike Hart article um, that a lot of people are uh, getting down to minimum fuel or less, where they're trying to stretch their fuel dollar and make it maybe to that cheap gas, yeah. uh, cheap gas municipal. No, I get it. Good point. They they didn't buy gas at at uh, expensive gas uh, uh, international. Uh, thinking they can make it the cheap gas regional, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. So yeah, that actually sounds pretty interesting. So uh, anyways, anyways, where we, we keep oh, yeah, right. waiting. I, yeah, we keep waiting for that engine that will run on air. <laughs> yeah, but, that's right. Um, let's see now. Where were we? I got I lost my place. Oh, where where can people find you on the internet, Jeb? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Ding ding ding. Um, JeBurnside.com. Uh, sometimes I'm on the Twitter machine, and and lately I just have not been doing Facebook. Uh, nothing good can come from it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. What do you call yourself on the Twitter? Uh, the Twitter, it's Burnside J. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, and Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. What have you been working on, David? I'm wrapping up a piece for Aviation Safety Magazine that will uh, look at uh, flight control from a whole new angle. Uh and just wrapped up some stuff for the uh, June World Aircraft Sales, uh, which will be on FBO tables in a, pretty much around Labor Day week, or Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty yeah, good. Where can people uh, find? Yeah. And where can people find this and and other things about you on the internet? Well, Jeb already mentioned the Aviation Safety Magazine site when I'm. When I'm uh, uh, on there, uh, avbuyer.com is where you can find world aircraft sales. And GA Buyer Europe, if you're a European listener or North African listener, they, they, they have their own little magazine for that part of the country or the world. Uh, AEA.net for the avionics uh, news magazine stuff that I'm doing. And uh, just handed over a few pieces to them. So. Yeah. 
and and uh, on Twitter you are known as uh, I'm the real Higdon. Yeah, just just real Higdon, not the real Higdon, right? Real Higdon. It's just real Higdon. Real right. Higdon. There you go. Excellent. And, and real I, short. And I totally forgot. What's that? Uh, to, um, that I do work for the Aircraft Electronics Association. Also, I, I know yeah. you do good stuff there too. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my Around the Field series of uh, Kindle eBooks uh, over at uh, Amazon.com/author/jack-hodgson. Frantically working on uh, getting Volume Three done uh, so that it will be on sale prior to uh, Air Venture, and so uh, we'll see if I pull that off. Um, also keep an eye on the AroundTheField.net blog, uh, where I'm starting to do daily posts uh, leading up to Air Venture. Uh, a lot of stuff there about uh, aviation happenings and things of interest to uh, general aviation pilots, and uh, trying to put uh, a pretty regular list of uh, things that we're looking forward to at Air Venture there on uh, AroundTheField.net. And you can follow me at Twitter. Uh, it's Twitter.com/JackHodgson, uh, or you can just sign up for my email newsletter. Uh, that's at uh, AroundTheField.net. Net, uh, and there's a link there to go to the uh, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, and in general, learn more than you really ever wanted to know about me at jackhodgson.com. As always, big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Uh, thanks to uh, Mike Morgan and to Royce Earl and Jim Goldman and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Also, don't forget to check out the rest of the uh, UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. And also, you can see who's doing what on the New Ratings webpage of fame. And much, much more. Uh, David, uh, were you going to say something here? Old age is a wonderful thing when you get there by flying, because if you fly, you don't get old fast, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. You got all that, right? Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Those are taking longer and longer to get to the punchline. This episode of Uncontrolled Airspace is made possible by the support of our generous listeners. For over seven years, we've been thrilled to enjoy the financial support and useful feedback of our awesome listeners. For information on how you can join the conversation in our forums, put something in the UCAP tip jar, or even become an underwriter of a UCAP episode, visit the UCAP homepage at uncontrolledairspace.com.